Hello there and welcome to the Talking City podcast, the Manchester City podcast from the Manchester Evening News. And we're here to discuss a Man- Manchester City win over Liverpool, a fantastic win at the weekend. My name is Joe Bray and uh, I'm joined by someone who, uh, I mean, you weren't there, were you, Simon? You were uh, sunning yourself on holiday. How was it? Uh, it was very nice. It was very nice. You always have a bit of sort of, yeah, I wish I was at that game, but um, in in the moment on that Saturday, I uh, I very much didn't. No, not at all. I think, and and what I will say is that it was a lovely sunny day, but we got to the Etihad and it was very very cold. So <laughs> wherever you were, it was it, definitely warmer than the Etihad. It, it's a weird one into the Etihad because I never think it gets that cold. Um, certainly, kind of in the press box. Um, just just the way the stadium is, it never gets that cold, but it equally never gets that warm. So, sort of, you don't mind it on those like freezing cold nights because it it's more, it's better than you think. But when you see the whole stadium basked in sunshine, and then wearing kind of that tiny bit of the Colin Bell stand that's covered in shade and freezing, you're like, yeah. yeah. Do you know, I looked at my hat and my scarf before I set off, and I thought, I'm not going to need them. It's it's lovely and warm outside. It says 10 degrees yeah. on the app. <laughs> I, I regret that decision. But also fantastic that um, City have absolutely monstered Liverpool and we're just talking about the uh, the sunny conditions and the <laughs> the the conditions in the press box. It's what, it's what people come to the podcast for, I think. It is, yeah. This is the, the insight that people want, I think. <laughs> yes. But, I mean, yeah. you, you're right. The build-up was about, you know, our, our Liverpool back. Is Erling Haaland going to play? There was a few sort of issues of, you know, is, is there going to be any trouble off the pitch? We've not mentioned any of that in the last couple of days, really, because City were just so good with, with the side that were, uh, were on the pitch. And uh, given you weren't there, I'll, uh, I'll give you a rundown of, of, of what happened. Yeah, because... you go for it. Who, who stood out for you? <laughs> oh, I don't like this being on the end of questions. This is normally my role. <laughs> and <laughs> When Dan's not here, I'm, I'm, I'm asking the I... questions. I mean, go on. I, I think when you said by, you know, is all we've talked about, like the football. It, it feels like there were so many good performances on Saturday that people haven't even got to the end of talking about how good everyone was. Um, you know, certain players were picked out at the time, certain players have been picked out since, but there's just like, it was like everyone was really, really good, weren't they? Yeah, I don't think anyone had a had a bad performance, really. And, you know, we, we looked at the team sheet when it came out and we thought, oh no, there's... Obviously, no Erlen Haaland, there's uh, John Stones at, at right back and no Kyle Walker and, you know, Bernardo's on the bench. It it, it wasn't noticeable at all because the, the 11 who were on the pitch were absolutely brilliant. And yes, Liverpool started well. They, they pushed really, really high from, from kick-off. They were, you know, closing down Edison. They got the goal with, you know, a fairly, it was route one, but it was a, a clever, a clever route one, if you like. They, they picked off City quite well and it had been threatening for a while. Just opened up the space and engineered that themselves, I would say. But City just responded by carry on doing what they were doing. We've seen them panic in the past, haven't we, when they'll concede one and then two and, and find themselves in all sorts of trouble. They nearly did when uh, Mo Salah got down the uh, Liverpool left and Jack Grealish had to had to cut out that attack. But a minute later, Grealish is on the end of a lovely, lovely move with Mares and, and Gundogan and he's rolling the ball into Julian Alvarez to score. And from then... It was it was all City really. Liverpool sort of were falling apart a little bit, and uh, you know, trying to get Rodri sent off, which I'm I'm not sure the second one was. I mean, it, it probably I don't know. It was it it would have been harsh, I think, in, in in my opinion. But they just didn't match City, and as soon as they conceded that first goal, Liverpool, I think their heads went a little bit, and you know, Kevin De Bruyne scores on 46, 47 minutes. They had no way back, no answer from that, and. City were the city that we've seen against Leipzig and, and Burnley where they were ruthless, attacking very fast and it was uh, it was just lovely to watch and I, th- I think you were saying that the goals summed it up, didn't they? they? They were just good, good moves and, you know, yes, you can point at Liverpool's defending where for the especially the third and fourth, they were just standing there just letting City do what they wanted. But City have to do that movement, I think, and it was uh, it, it showed the gulf between these sides this season, and no, it was uh, a, a very very good performance as well as a good win for City. Did did you get that impression when you were sort of following it from afar? Yeah, yeah, I think so. It, it's kind of like it it showed that Liverpool 
are not the force they were, but City was still very good. And maybe City wouldn't have been able to pull off everything they did against them if Liverpool were at their best, but that shouldn't take away um, from how good City were and how well they played. I'm just like, maybe we're in our own little echo chamber, but I'm so happy that you said that Rodri wasn't ascending off because like that was one of the big talking points like on Twitter as a, whenever I sort of checked in to follow the game, should Rodri have been sent off, City were lucky. And I watched Match of the Day and both like Alan Shearer and Michael Richards saying, yeah, City were lucky. Um, so I was like really intrigued to see this um, this second yellow card that he should have been. And it's like, it's such a nothing... Such a nothing challenge. Yes, it comes straight after the first one, but like it's very similar to the first one. But the referee even says when he books him, he's like, it's for an accumulation. So it's like, so he's not giving him a card just for that tackle alone. So why would he give him a second yellow for that tackle alone? Um, and, you know, I think Klopp sort of diffused it a bit, didn't he, by saying they wouldn't have won against 10. Um, but yeah, I mean, it, it sort of, it ties into this weird, like, Rodri, all opposition clubs hate Rodri, despite him being, like, one of the sort of nicest footballers you can get. It's um, it's just a bit weird. Liverpool have obviously have this, uh, were very upset last season with um, the handball at Goodison, weren't they? Um, was it last season or the season before? Can't remember that. Everyone knows the handball at Goodison, um, and then yeah, Arsenal fans have had their issues with him. And um, but yeah, I, I just thought he was—he was never um, a a second yellow, and particularly with Simon Hooper, who can be a bit kind of um, a, a bit inconsistent. Um, but probably he's probably one of the more consistent referees. But he's. He's consistent in letting things go and, you know, not whistling for everything. Fabinho went in on a couple of very similar tackles and somehow escaped to booking. And then Rodri gets a booking and Alexander-Arnold goes in the back of, I think, Jack Grealish. And I think he was doing everything he could to not give bookings away and just keep it, keep it just above board. And he, he, he did that to an extent, but he also got booed off by both sets of supporters at half time. So I'd, I don't know if you're doing a good job or a bad job when, when that happens. Yeah, I think it, it depends. Um, but, because I, I stole foul for the first yellow for Rodri and I thought, well, that's a bit harsh because he's not that far up the pitch. If it was like in the city half, then fair enough. But no, he said accumulation, so fine. Um, but, so then when the second one happened in like almost exactly the same position, you're like, well, it, it's never going to be a second yellow, is it? Um, despite also enjoyed kind of all the crowding of the ref that went on um, after this kind of like oh the third player that approaches will be booked and then that's yes, like yeah, a yeah. weird thing that's gone out the window hasn't it yeah I think he did okay in the end to to diffuse various situations we were convinced someone would get sent off in the second half but I think just because City was so dominant that, that meant that Liverpool had no fight in them but there the were some inconsistent calls with, with by not by taking a stance to try not to book anyone, he, he probably let a few go, but also meant that Rodri stayed on the pitch. And I, I agree with you, it wasn't a second yellow, but other referees, I think, would have maybe bowed to that pressure a little bit and, and sent him off. Yeah, um, and maybe if it was at Anfield, it's given, I don't know. But um, so the so the other kind of big thing um, that I saw from afar was this Grealish challenge on Salah that then. Um, he then kind of went up the other end and turned, you know, basically 1-1 into 2-0. And then kind of watching it, I was struck by how, like, simple it is from Grealish. I think because Grealish, you have this kind of Roy of the Rovers idea and you associate him with, like, um, giving everything and doing all these amazing things. And, and, he, and he didn't. He just kind of ran enough to close down Salah's space and then waited and cut out the ball and it was like re and and it was very simple and it was very understated but that is kind of Grealish um but yeah I mean it, it seemed like he had a very 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 good game in everything he did he did and, and I mean that that sort of interception like you say 
you look back and I, re- I remember looking back on Matt today and thinking, oh, it wasn't as impressive as I remember, but he is the one who was last man and, and did that running and sprinted as fast as he could to, to, to do that defending. And I'll tell you now, the whole of the Etihad rose, literally rose to the feet and <laughs> applauded him because it was such a, it was just such a good move and everyone could see Diogo Jota in the centre who would have almost certainly scored if that ball had found him. And all he does is he, he takes a high five from Nathan Ake, jogs back to, to position and 60 seconds later he's, he's grabbing an assist and I think that sums up Grealish this season and I would say this is probably one of the best I've seen him in sort of an all-round play. It, when, when you take into account that sort of, that, that, um, that interception and the defensive work he was doing as well, but he had Alexander-Arnold on, on strings. Alexander-Arnold didn't know where to be and what to do to stop Grealish and yeah, he, he was popping up. And, is that, uh, is that the was, best right-back in the world not being that good at <laughs> defending? I, I wouldn't say that personally, but <laughs> I wouldn't dare say that. But uh, no, he was, uh, he seemed mild all game, Alexander-Arnold. He was just putting stupid tackles in. I've, I've seen that video of him just doing a, a one-man press in the second half for no apparent reason um, and then getting annoyed that no one's joining him. But uh, I, I think that's more credit to Grealish because he was uh, just a, as, a, was it a ball magnet? Was Absolute his ball was magnet, yeah. Uh, and that's what he, his nickname for Haaland, yeah, yeah. Well, I think you can but apply it, it to Grealish as well. We have noted, haven't we? He just never loses the ball when it's at his feet, and and as well with like his block for Salah, it's kind of like when you're in that situation, it doesn't matter whatever you do as long as you make the right decision. Because like I remember Van Dijk a year or two ago, like someone was running at him and he had someone to his side and he didn't close down player running at him. Might have been Tottenham. Um, and then they miss and everyone was like, fantastic from Van Dyke, not to, you know, leave the man to square it. And you're like, well, it's only fantastic because he's not scored. Um, you know, if he'd left him to run on goal and he'd shot, then everyone would have been like, what's he doing? But that was like, uh, but defenders have sort of made these decisions all their lives. But for someone like Grealish to do it is um, another sign, I think, of his his maturity. And I mean, you and me have been talking about him for ages and ages and ages because they've had a really, really good post-World Cup. Um, but it does just kind of show, again, that the things that really get you credit are goals and assists. Yeah. But you, you, you'd have to say that the level of performance has been very consistent. It's just now that he is adding those those goals against yeah, the big, but he's, big he's sides. He's been like an 8 out of 10 most weeks, hasn't he? But maybe a, a 9 this week. But the goal and assist is why, like, Everyone is saying how good he is. It's 13 of the last 15 games he started and, and the other two were FA Cup against Championship opposition. He's, he is go-to now for, for that left-wing position and you, you don't want to drop him. You, you wouldn't drop him because he's, he's playing that well. Yeah, and certainly with um, Foden being out for a few weeks, you kind of think, yeah, and it just locks him in even more to that starting 11 every Absolutely. week. And we, uh, we we spoke to Bernardo and Akanji after the game in, in the mix zone and they were very, very complimentary for Grealish, obviously, and just said he's, he's getting the rewards for working hard when, when it wasn't really going his way. And Bernardo was defending him, saying, well, everyone takes time. Everyone has a bad period when, when they first arrive, just because it's so much. But it seems like everyone's delighted for him. And uh, Akanji was, faced his like, third or fourth question on Grealish. And he, he he just said, do you know, normally I face questions about Erling Haaland every every interview, but now he's not playing, it's, it's Jack Grealish. And, but I think, that, I think they are just genuinely delighted for him because he seems obviously a lovely lad and he's, he's playing at the top of his game. And if, if he's doing that, and Akanji said, we kind of expect the midfielders to come back and track, but not everyone does it. So the fact that Grealish is doing that and then popping up the other end and, and getting the goal, it was, it, it was a turning point in the game because if City go 2-0 down very hard to get back. They've done it in the past this season. It's still, against Liverpool, going to be very, very difficult. To get to 1-1, you've got the crowd on your back and from there, there was only going to be one winner and uh, I think, yeah, Grealish is is very deserving of all the uh, all the credit he's getting. Um, another performance that you may have seen spoken about quite a lot was uh, a certain John Stones who got the nod at right back. A couple of, couple of eyebrows raised, if you like, just the fact that Kyle Walker wasn't playing against Liverpool, who likes to play with wingers, but I mean, John Stones, he, he, I say he was the right back. He was more of a, a midfielder alongside Rodri and, and playing that role, which he has done this season, just I think better than he, he has 
any time I've seen him in defensive midfield and, uh, you know, City are promoting him and his performance on their social media accounts and, you know, everyone's praising him. He's, it, it feels like quite a rapid, I, I don't know, if, if you told me at the start of the season that John Stones was going to be a genuine option as a inverted fullback into midfield, I'd, I'd say, no, nah, I think he should stick to centre-back. But it, it shows just how, how well he's done recently that he's not only yeah, playing or, very, very well at centre-back, but he's doing that as well. Or if he said they'd be starting ahead of Kyle Walker in like big games. And if, you know, the, the Grealish challenge on salary is kind of Walker territory, isn't it? That's where Walker would have been from that corner and could have ended up very differently. Um, yeah, it, it's it's a, it's a funny one with Stones, because, I mean, I think City fans would probably acknowledge that he's kind of the best defender when everyone's fit. Um, you know, Diaz brings a hell of a lot to the team and is great for leadership, but um, the sort of the ball-playing ability on top of the kind of defender's defender stuff, Stones, when fit, has been the best and it's been his fitness largely in the last two years that have just stopped him kind of playing every game possible um but he seems in a in a really good place um on and off the pitch and yeah I mean that passing sequence that's gone wild uh on on Twitter over the weekend is is just bizarre and you know does point out how poorly Liverpool pressed um, but again, you know, really, really well. And I remember a few years ago when Stones was tried in defensive midfield and was terrible and looked like he didn't want to be there and played like he shouldn't have been there. Um, and it, and it's really interesting that a, f- a few years later, he's now sort of producing much better performances. Um, you know, be interested to know whether it's something in the wider team or something in him or both. Um, but I think, you know, City fans, whenever they look for a starting lineup and see John Stones in there, they will be, they're always a lot happier. Um, and when you see him moving forward um, alongside Rodri and playing like that, you know, he was up in the number 10 position at times. It was, was crazy. Um, but he gives so much to the team that he's, He's sort of, yeah, one of the first names on the team sheet when fit. Yeah, and like even when Kyle Walker was injured before the World Cup and you saw him at, at right back, you're thinking, okay, he's a good player, but is he is he a right back? Is he okay for that? And he's he's, he's answered that emphatically, hasn't he, in the last few few times he's played there. But you, you look at like Nathan Ake and uh, I'd include Rico Lewis, but he's sort of been brought up in, in that position. But players who've had to adapt to play in the sort of inverted role who have normally just been out-and-out defenders. I think it says a lot about Guardiola and his team that the message is so instilled now in these players that they know exactly how to play and you're getting more players who can play more than one position who previously were only sort of experts in in one sort of role. And now you've got players like Stones who are sort of bossing the midfield against, against Liverpool, which is... Uh, it's remarkable to see and it feels like every game there's going to be another player doing something that you don't expect them to do and it's uh, yeah it's, uh, it's it's fascinating I think yeah and, and Guardiola has kind of you know ripped up so many tactical playbooks and introduced false nine back into the mainstream and you know played with two false nines at City and and done so much and but you know it he just sees things that other people don't and he, you know, upsets conventional narratives that we all understand. And I think if you could, um, you know, say that there's going to he's going to play with a team with four centre-backs and stick four goals past Liverpool, you just think, what on earth are you saying? But, you know, he, he's managed to play with zero full-backs. The full-backs who are, like, been so important to his team for so many years. Um, and he's absolutely battering one of the one of the biggest rivals um it you know all credit to Guardiola for seeing it and credit to the players for be, being able to to pull it out and when you know I think the big thing before the international break was can they carry on the form and then they lost Harland and Bowden and it kind of looked um like 
that form is very much still there? Did it feel like another big kind of home win? Oh, definitely, definitely. And I think Bernardo said after the game that this is the best form City have been in this season. And just the feeling is it's the, the best that they have done. And I mean, Guardiola said before the game, they've got to win every game if they want to win the league. And if they, lo- if they lose one, then the league's gone. So it, it, it felt like they were sort of responding to that challenge, if you like. And they are very aware that they can't slip up anymore. They've got to just win, 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 win. And they're doing that. And like you say, there was a bit of a doubt. Maybe can they pick up the momentum after the international break? Haaland and Foden aren't there. Few different changes. It's it's probably not the team sheet that you would pick if you had everyone fit to face Liverpool, mainly because Haaland and Foden would be in there. But they still looked like they were missing nobody. We've we've barely spoken about Haaland <laughs> all, all game, all week. Who scored what forty two goals? And yeah, it was. Uh, I think that sums up just how dominant City were. Barely spoken about his uh, replacement in the team who seemed to do very well as well. Well, that was my uh, going to be my next uh, segue into into another another conversation. And yeah, Julian Alvarez, I, I think a his, lot of his the best game for City. Season, I I wouldn't. I'm not sure. I'd say that, but I'd say it was one of his most sort of important. Just because we've always been talking about can he play with Haaland? Can he play in the front two? And he's he's sort of played in that hole behind. And uh, when he's been got when he's had the chance on his own, he's not. It's not been against a bigger team, really. And the only time it was in the Premier League was really Leicester when they just put a, a very, very low block and Alves had no chance of, of getting on the ball. But against Liverpool, he kind of just imitated Haaland, if you like. The first time I noticed him was when he was putting the ball in the back of the net and that is exactly what Haaland does, isn't it? He just pops up in, in the box. Um, but then his ball to uh, to Mahrez for the... But the De Bruyne goal was was brilliant and maybe that's something that Haaland doesn't always do. He, he maybe did a little bit more running um, and uh, sort of moulded those two parts of, of the game together and he's there for the uh, for the Gundogan goal as well. He's given far too much space in the in the box but he's still got to to do something with it. And no, I, I think it was a, a really significant performance from Alvarez and, and for me, City don't need to rush Haaland back. They, they've got the games against Bayern uh, two against Bayern, against Sheffield United, against Arsenal. You you, you can give Haaland another week for, for me because Alvarez will be able to go to Southampton, learn from the the previous visit to Southampton, carry the form he's got, and 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 play very effectively as he did against against Liverpool. Now I, th- I think Guardiola said that Haaland probably will be back, but while he said before the game he might have to take risks, I I don't think there's any need to with Haaland because Alvarez played so well and showed that he can lead the line in a big game without Haaland. So Alvarez starts for you at Southampton? I, I would say so and then he's he's Haaland back. Um, I'm sure if Haaland's available he starts and that's the situation that Alvarez finds himself in, isn't it? But I, I, it's one of those, he's played so well against Liverpool it would be harsh to to drop him to the bench. Yeah, and, it, and it's... Um... Alvarez again is he, I mean he's older than Haaland but he's he's because he's kind of his junior in the team but also because he's come from South America and it is really hard um to 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 come from South America to the Premier League compared to say the Bundesliga to the to the Premier League um just because of the difference between um South American and European Football and we we've seen plenty of South American players come off, come over and struggle initially or not make it, and Alvarez just kind of seems to have settled in instantly. Um, he's sort of scored the goals. His goals record is really good, um, and yeah, and you know the the big thing is like, well, what happens when Haaland isn't the team? Can you lead the line um, and win them the game and you know, the answer in a big game against Liverpool is is an emphatic yes. So, you know, that has to give City real confidence. Um, obviously, they're a better team uh, when when Haaland plays for going into those big games, but they've done it without him now. So that is a question that, um, you know, that, that they've answered, but also opposition teams have answered because maybe, you know, Liverpool see Haaland's not playing and they get a bit of lift from that and think they might be in for an easier afternoon and that certainly wasn't the 
wasn't the case. And on sort of the the wider point, I think when um, City were in the Centurion season and they kept winning, um, I don't think it was a City player, that, although it might have been, but I'm sure it was uh, Maurizio Pochettino who was at Spurs at the time who sort of said, it feels like they start every match 1-0 up um, because they're in such form and they just have those players in that form with that confidence that you, as opposition teams, you're kind of worried that, um, you know, you feel you're up against it from the first whistle and it, it kind of feels like that is the mode maybe that Bernardo was speaking about that sort of City is just in that groove and you can take Haaland out and Alvarez comes straight in and, you know, you can play four centre-backs and it just all works. Yeah, I, I, I don't know about you, but I was looking at the, the Liverpool players celebrating and it didn't look like a team who were going to go on a win. It looked like they were shocked that they'd gone 1-0 up at City, which might be because they were just on, not on the great greatest run of form and there are various problems in, the, in that camp. But it, even the fans, it, it felt like when they went ahead, they weren't expecting to hold on to the lead. And, uh, I, I mean... Yeah, like you say, City City felt like they were always going to win that game and they, they played like it as well. Um, I mean, Klopp said before the game that it doesn't matter if Haaland's fit or or not, they have to stop the supply and they did it for about maybe 20 minutes. But after that, they, they just failed in that task and uh, I think City tactically won the game very, very comfortably. But also that, that sort of desire that we've seen when City go on these runs and they, they win a lot of games no one's taking those points off them and that's that's the uh, that's that's the feeling i got on uh, on saturday and uh, city will go on to to southampton next week and then have quite a hectic schedule with uh, the return of the champions league but uh, when we come back after a short little break we're going to talk about another city team who've got a a big game this week in the fa youth cup Hello there, welcome back. This is part two of the Talking City podcast. Uh, we've dissected City's big win over Liverpool in the Premier League. We will uh, shortly be talking about Southampton, who are up next, and the wider title race implications as the uh, games tick down in the Premier League. But uh, for a couple of minutes, we're just going to have a, a quick look at the uh, the youth team this season. And uh, Ben Wilkinson's under-18s will travel to Arsenal, uh, the Emirates Stadium, on Tuesday night for the uh, FA Youth Cup semi-final and uh, they've they've had to beat some uh, tricky teams I'd say some uh, you know they, they lost to Brighton last year they beat them this year which was uh, felt like a statement of intent uh, within the academy they've had a couple of lower league teams but teams who have beaten uh, sort of bigger bigger names if you like on the way and and now City face Arsenal now I'm going down tomorrow to uh, to the Emirates but side have you been following the youth team much this season? No. <laughs> uh, yes. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, no, they've done tremendously well. Um, obviously, the 18s and the 23s have won the the league for the last two years and are on course to win it again. I think it's a bigger achievement this year than um, previous years just because of the players at the disposal of Ben Wilkinson and uh, Brian Barry Murphy for the, for the 23s. Um, the Youth Cup is the cup that every club wants to win you know it's like the FA Cup it's got this um, uh, just you know history and tradition with it but also you always get sort of surprise teams that go on a good run Um, and I think City played Oxford um, recently and Arsenal played Cambridge two sides that kind of upset the odds to come through Cambridge very nearly knocked Arsenal out Um, but it's you know it's generally a sign of how good a shape your academy is in and City have uh, not won the FA Youth Cup as many times as they should for their league dominance um, it's kind of mirrored across the first team really um, but the, there's always been a feeling in the academy that you know a, a bit like they've got a really poor record in the UEFA Youth League um, similarly which is like the mini Champions League uh, that you know they just have this Ability sometimes not to turn up in knockout games. Um, remember last season, Brighton, the FA Youth Cup, it was like they absolutely battered Brighton, but they didn't score and then they just conceded a really easy shot. And it, it's like, 
that kind of summed up them at, uh, and you know the first team when they're at the worst when it's like they're missing 40 chances and conceding from the only shot they concede it's it is one of those and you know knockout competitions don't give you that that room to um to have another go and and win the next game to make sure it, it doesn't matter um and you know the I, I say it's kind of a show of how good your your first team is and how good your club's running and you know it's very interesting that city travel to arsenal when you know these two first teams are also the the top two in the premier league it's kind of adds a another bit of intrigue to the to the two clubs this season yes i think you're right there that there is a determination within the academy that they want to do it this year and like you say the last time they won the youth cup they had cole palmer uh tommy doyle james mcatee um liam de lap luke Mbete, players like that who are all playing in the championship and league one now and doing very very well for themselves and it's sort of a, a more low-key group this year, I think you would would have to say, but they're uh, certainly not lacking in ambition when I've spoken to any of them. And uh, I spoke to uh, Justin Aboa-Vudoa, and I apologise for potentially getting that the pronunciation wrong, but a uh, very, very ambitious lad. And he was saying that this group feel like they want to they want to emulate the, the groups that have gone past before them, but also it feels like it would be a sort of crowning of of their journey through the academy if they can if they can do this. And uh, I think it's West Ham or Southampton away in the final. Now, then if they get to the final, they'll fully deserve it. But City would and Arsenal would probably consider themselves favourites. So it, it feels like there's a a real determination for this one. And whenever I speak to like uh, Ben Wilkinson or Brian Barry Murphy, they they sort of weighing up the advantages of giving the players a, a tough test and seeing how they react under pressure. And there's going to be a lot of pressure at the Emirates in front of a, a big crowd on, on Tuesday. Weighing that up against actually winning and actually passing those tests. So they went to Hadjduk Split in the Youth League and I think 15,000 were there and it was a hostile atmosphere and City dominated again but fell behind and couldn't get back into it and, and got knocked out. And I think they're now looking, now they're in these semi-finals to, to really learn from those and show that they are learning from these these setbacks and and can do it in these these knockout games and like you said the youth cup is a the, the pinnacle of of the the academy system in in England and if if City could get to the final I don't know whether it'd be at the Etihad or Academy Stadium get a, a decent crowd in it would it would be a very very big moment for for these players and uh, they seem to be working very hard and a lot of ambition and it should be a, a very very interesting game so yeah like I say I'll be I'll be down at the Emirates and uh, following the game and. Give us a give us a follow, give us a read, and uh, we'll uh, hopefully bring back a uh, a young city side full of uh, a lot of quality and uh, potentially in the uh, the U Cup final. How have you got your your touch typing down for Justin? Uh, yes, yeah, yeah. I've uh, I've got a copy and paste for that one. <laughs> Make sure you've got your your name going out. I'm sure lots of people will know his name um, as if, if he continues his his form and his is run but it, yeah I mean the thing is like it's a bit like we were saying with Grealish and Golden Assist like it's a highly competitive academy and it's these players are trying to get into the one of the best teams in world football and being the standout player in the big moments in the big games um, is what stands you out and what first team coaches see and think oh right okay because um, it's you know the thing with like um, the players on loan this season, like you know James McAtee and Tommy Doyle at Sheffield United and Taylor Howard Bellis at, at Burnley, like City know how good they are. They know that they can do it at that level. So the the challenge to them is go and do it and stand out and get your team promoted. Um, and and if they can come back from setbacks um, and do it in challenging environments, then that shows. Um, Cheeky Bagirison and the recruitment team that they have the potential to make it at City so you know th- these are the f- first steps for these players in the Youth Cup if they can do it and win the Youth Cup um, you know those those challenges won't stop because they'll get it if they go out on loan they'll get out in the first team Kevin De Bruyne is still getting it every week you know why aren't you the standout player but that is the mentality of making it at, at City Um so it should be a should be a really good game. I think you'll be in for a, 
in for mm. a treat and very as good long press, as it doesn't go to extra food. time that's all, all i'm bothered about <laughs> <laughs> yeah is, is it extra time and penalties i think so i think so yeah 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 although you um, reminded me one thing uh justin said was that they're, they're aware of players who have won the youth cup in the past who have gone on to have brilliant careers and they want to they want to emulate that and it's not lost on them it's not just another game they, they are very aware that this is a one of the biggest games of their careers in in sort of the biggest arenas and 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 settings. So uh, now I think it'll be really interesting to see how they go. Yeah, I was um, I was speaking to Ben Mee down at the Emirates, funnily enough, um, when Arsenal played City, and um, he was talking about the. Um, I was talking to him about the move to the Etihad Stadium because it was like twenty years ago, and and he was saying, you know, winning the FA Youth Cup. Um, with Itty is still like one of the highlights of his career and you know that's not it's not senior football it's not professional um, football but it's still such a huge deal to so many so many people and you know you look back in X years and you say oh who, who won that FA Youth Cup and where are those players now and you know like City um, a few years ago a lot have gone on to do very well and you know it's it's huge prestige for for the players to be able to say they've won, they've won an FA Youth Cup, um, and yet Arsenal are going to be very hard, and West Ham or Southampton will be very hard as well if they make it past past Arsenal. Two, well, three very good academies they're they're up against, but um, but yeah, the as the first team always are, you know, they nobody will want to face City, and I mean they can the academy can still win the Premier League too and the under eighteen Premier League and. Uh, another clean sweep, so it's, uh, it's it could be a a very good a very good year for the academy. And I'm I'm gonna give a mention to uh, you reminded me before of players who've gone out and done it in the big moments after sort of leaving City on loan. I, th- I think Dan wouldn't forgive us if we didn't mention the two City players who just won the EFL Trophy at, at, at Wembley, James Trafford and, and Luke Mbete, who both started and did uh, very well there down at Wembley and. Uh, I mean, they looked absolutely delighted with the, that massive trophy afterwards. So, uh, yeah, <laughs> yes, fair play to and, them both. Um, James Trafford, funnily enough, should have played in the FA. I think he played in the FA Youth Cup semi-final. Um, the team that won it, it was they played it down at St George's Park. It was post, well, it was in the middle of COVID, really, but it had been delayed. So they played the game on the Friday, the semi, and then I think the final was on the Monday. Um, but in between that, City had a goalkeeping injury and uh, Trafford got called up to Sheffield United to sit on the first team bench. So Trafford stayed with the first team. So the only reason he wasn't part of the FA Youth Cup final winning team was because he was already on first team duties. And um, yeah, they're both doing very well at Bolton. And yeah, we'll always remember uh, winning that trophy at the weekend because it's a, you know, it's a huge thing to say for your professional career that you've you've won a trophy. So uh, yeah, a lot of City youngsters doing very well out on loan. Yeah, I think that's a credit to City as well for picking the right teams to to send these players to to as well, which is uh, often as as important as how the players do as well. Uh, so we will be back uh, very shortly after another short break and uh, go back to the first team and back to another long trip, uh, which uh, thankfully I'm not doing this time. It's uh, Simon going down to Southampton, but. Uh, Yeah, we'll be back in a second to talk City versus Southampton. Okay, then welcome back to part three of the Talking City podcast. City have Southampton away next up. It was a very unhappy journey down there uh, in the Carabao Cup quarterfinal. City were absolutely uh, awful. I, I think you can... You can insert any adjective you want there um, and it'll probably be true because, uh, yeah, it was just a, a, a night to forget down there in the uh, cup. Guardiola just said that City weren't in it. Gundogan came out and said, I can't remember what it was, but he indicated that there was just, the mindset was off and it was uh, it was shortly before the uh, the big the big Happy Flowers rant, wasn't it? So it was it was when things weren't all plain sailing in the, uh, in the dressing room. But now, as we've discussed, City are 11 unbeaten, seven wins in a row. I mean, Southampton uh, had a very poor result at the weekend. It's got to be three points for City, hasn't it, So, Yeah, it does. You know, 
three points at Southampton is the difference between winning the league or not winning the league, basically. You know, you've had your high, you've beaten Liverpool. Can you back it up by beating a team that you should beat? And the last time they were at Southampton, absolutely terrified Guardiola because he saw things that he'd never seen from his team. And, you know, there were a few players who are quite new to the team who were culpable. But there was also plenty of time with established first teamers on the pitch where they were as dreadful. And that was, you know, probably the probably the lowest point in City's season. Um and a real kind of sign that City really needed to change a lot if they were going to go into challenge. Um and obviously a big missed opportunity by being knocked out of the out of the League Cup. Um, you know, so so yeah, it was it was really really bad, um, and now they will travel to Southampton in a much better mood. Um, Southampton obviously kind of a bit better, um, in the sense that you know they're a lot happier now now that Nathan Jones has been replaced, um, but they're still bottom of the league, and you know they lost a a, a big they lost to West Ham. On Sunday, which was a big chance for them to beat one of the teams around them and move up, they 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 watched on Saturday as Bournemouth uh, won and went up to fourteenth. I think it was, you know, it, it really is so tight at the bottom. Um, but like Palace winning and that moves them further up, and you know, it 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 is very tight at the minute. But it really won't be, won't take much for a team to be cut adrift. Um, Southampton at the minute are in. 20th place and in the most danger of of being that especially if they don't get a, a result against Manchester City which is one of the hardest things to do um but yeah Man City just have to take they have a real weird connection with Southampton where their matches are quite memorable or um you know important more significant than against other teams so um they will hope that this time when they go down there it's kind of memorable for the right reasons rather than uh, that League Cup game Yeah, you'd expect that they learn the lessons from that and the team will look fairly different I can think of maybe four or five players off the bat who would not be starting uh, who started in the in the Carabao Cup game and uh, different players in, in form for uh, for City as well who maybe were only just coming back into form in that in that cup game, and I mean, if City play anywhere near the level that they did against Liverpool, then surely Southampton have have no chance. But of course, Southampton went to Chelsea the other week and and got a result. Yes, they undid it with the the following results where they've they've not managed to back it up. But that you know they are capable, and City know that firsthand. So I don't think it will be easy. But I think any, as as we've indicated, anything less than less than three points is is a disaster and as Guardiola and a couple of his players have said if we lose to Southampton or if we lose any game then we're out of the t- title base because Arsenal are still eight points clear City did a City recorded a 4-1 win and Arsenal did a couple of hours later exactly the same and it, it, they don't show any sign of stopping and as much as City need to win every game as Guardiola has challenged them to if Arsenal do that or even if Arsenal lose one game they're still going to win the league so they are uh, clear favourites, I, I would say, just because they keep winning and have that that cushion, uh, and the, the way they play and look like they'd, they'd, they've got no sign of of stopping. Can can you see Arsenal flipping up at all? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I can't tell you when. Um, no, their their response to losing City has been really very impressive. Um, but it was a matter of like twenty days and even less where their lead just got eradicated at the top and City were above them when they beat them at uh, at the at the Emirates. Um, and it was like, how did that happen? Because Arsenal were so far ahead. Um, now, Arsenal are likely to have like a number of games more than City, but that means that City can catch up um, and it puts more pressure on City because they're more points behind. But um, it also means that they can very quickly close the gap when they get those opportunities to to catch up and and it will probably come around the time when they play Arsenal at the at, at the Etihad as well so if they can beat Arsenal and then win that game in hand I think it's against West Ham at home um kind of less than 
two weeks later, might only be a week later. Um, and suddenly, like, you know, eight points goes to two or 11 points goes to five or six to, to zero. Um, and then you've got this completely different momentum. And, you know, after City beat Arsenal, Arsenal went behind twice to Aston Villa and went 2-0 down to, to Bournemouth. And they came back to win those games, but you can't always come back every time if you if you keep conceding like that. So, you know, that that is why I, I just think City City have got the experience of coming from behind to win a title, but they've also got that experience from even just February where they lost to Spurs at the beginning of the month and they were completely out of it and like 10 days later they were top of the league. I think you will know that and Arsenal will know that. So it, it's, it's very much on. But I, I think Arsenal have to be the ones to blink first um, you know, I think if City drop any more points before Arsenal do, then it's it's pretty much Arsenal's title. I think again, those games in hand are going to be pivotal because yes, City will claw that one back against West Ham, but when City play in the FA Cup, then Arsenal will get another one. And I think the only time that the the Brighton game can get played if City get through to the Champions League quarterfinals is the penultimate game of the season. So. City could be behind and be in second going place. Going into that final week. Going into that final week and may, may, maybe the first time City will be ahead of Arsenal will be going into that last game. It, it could come down to that. So it could be a mindset thing. And How exciting would that be? You know, City having to... I think they've got Chelsea at home the penultimate weekend. So City having to beat Chelsea at home, Brighton away and Brentford away. You know, Brighton and Brentford, two of the really good teams this season pushing for top four, five, six. And two of the best teams we've played at the Etihad, I would say. And and also, you know, going up against Arsenal who've been phenomenal this season and will end up on a hugely impressive points total. Um, you know, I, I I hope from a neutral perspective that it goes down to that final week um, and City needing kind of, you know, to to win all three of the final games, either to win it or to hope that Arsenal Arsenal slip up. Um, but yeah, City really will have to come from behind if they're to if they're to do it again. It's, it's it was it twenty nineteen with the uh, the Leicester win in the the last week, and then was it went and to, to Brighton. Brighton and yeah, so it, it, shades of that, isn't it? And using that momentum to sort of pit them at the post, but. I, I do think it'll come down to that. I, I can't see Arsenal slipping up more than more than once, but City have to beat Arsenal in that head-to-head later this month. If they don't do that, then it's... What was it? How many goals is it at the at the Etihad in the last three? It's 17. So, City in good form there. Yeah. Can I get a uh, score prediction for, for Southampton? 3-0, I will say. I'll go confident. What about you? I'll say two, but a, a comfortable 2-0. Yeah, early goal, a, I think. Sort of yeah, early goal, take control of the game. And as I said, I, I would, if if there is an a, an opportunity to to give Erling Haaland more time, I would not, I, w- I would take that because there are far more important games to come. Yeah, but given it's Southampton, I wouldn't rule out a one all or a one nil home win, just because Southampton just have a way. Yeah, it, it will be an interesting shot. And we're saying two 0 three 0 but. It, I don't think either of us are expecting an easy game, are we? No, no. Well, it is just... The thing is, because the relegation battle is so tight and because the top four and European qualification is open, um, you know, you usually have more teams at this point of the season who are kind of planning for next season and a bit on the beach. Um, Whereas there are, you know, more teams than ever with something to play for this season. Um which is, you know, makes it more exciting for for all of us. Yeah, I do, I, I do think there's going to be another twist or turn somewhere in, in, in the road. And, you know, City might still win the title, but I'm not sure it's going to be a win every game and, and playing sailing. I think... Uh, well, Arsenal are, at, Arsenal are at Anfield, aren't they? Which is, you know, a, a huge test for them. Liverpool are the best version of Liverpool this season, but, you know, they're still beating United 7-0 and... You know, this is it, it, it is still Anfield. You know, you've got our Teta last season playing you'll never walk alone at training so that they could be prepared and then they 
they lost 4-0. So it's another big test of how far Arsenal have come if they can go to go to Anfield and get a result. And I'll tell you, Virgil van Dijk was absolutely fuming when he walked past the mix zone and he said, we're going to have a meeting on, on Sunday and there will be like hard words spoken. And I mean, they've got Chelsea next to a, an absolute mess now. They got rid of Graham Potter, get a win there and they could, they seem like a confidence team, take it into Arsenal. I think so he'll be hoping for a favour from, from from Liverpool. And yeah, I think, yeah, I'd, I'd, we keep saying this, it's, it's going to go down to the wire and, and plenty of things will happen. And I, I don't know how to call it, but uh, I mean, for me, I'm off on holiday for the next couple of weeks. So, I'll come back and it could be a completely different, uh, completely different uh, picture in the Premier League. Yes, yeah, but we would expect you to return with the title race very much still on. Absolutely, and potentially a, a Champions League semi-final place, but for City as well. But that's a completely different conversation altogether, and we will uh, come to that, I'm sure, in our next Talking City podcast, which will be next week after the Southampton game and uh, FA Youth Cup game as well. Uh, so we'll be back here. You can get the podcasts wherever you get your uh, your podcast these days. You can follow us on Twitter at Man City Men. You can follow us on Facebook at Manchester City uh, Manchester Evening News. Uh, the website is ManchesterEveningNews.co.uk, and then click on Man City at the top. And we are also on YouTube, uh, Manchester City Manchester Evening News. Search all those keywords, and you will definitely find us in in some some description. Uh, we'll be back next week. Uh, where City will have faced Southampton. And for now, it is goodbye.